Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Achtung, achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and the COVID kid himself, uh, James Holland. Um, a a, a one-man viral experiment. How are you, Jim? Well, I've still got two lines, unfortunately. You've still got two morning. lines. Uh, but yeah, you know, I sort of feel all right. It feels like it's a back end of a bad cold, really. Nothing more than that. Yeah. Um, so I'm finding it really frustrating. And... and and the rest of my family is sort of treating me like a vampire because every time I go anywhere near them, they sort of turn away like this. And sort of... Fair enough. Fair enough. Seems reasonable. Now, who are, we, who are we talking to today, James? Well, I'm really, really pleased about this one. Uh, we've got a great friend of mine, Martin Davidson, who's a, who's a really old pal and um, who back in the day commissioned me to do a number of historical documentaries on the Second World War. Well, no, when and you the like Cold him. War. And the Cold War. Well, exactly. No, Cold like. War Fast Jets. Is that was Cold that? War, Cold War Fast that? Jets was commissioned by Martin. He, he, he got me involved. And, Love that um, show. And Malta and Normandy yep. and Battle of Britain and Dan Busters. And we had great, great times doing that. And then um, and became a really, really good friend. And we now have various projects that we do together. Anyway, we were when I was doing my, my Wolf and Kaltenbrunner recce the other day in, in the South yep. Tyrol, um, Martin was invo- is involved with that very intimately, and um, we spent a lot of time driving around the the Tyrolean mountains and Idolomiti, um, mm. and, and chewing the cud. And I started talking about to Martin about this amazing new book he's working on, and which we have to get him back on to talk about that. Yeah. But also, we started talking about his grandfather because years ago, some years ago, he wrote wrote this book about his grandfather, and I read it. In fact, I reviewed it actually um, for for. BBC History Magazine or something like right. that. Four stars. I can't remember. Anyway, four, four stars. stars. Well, what, I would have given it five, Martin. So the star bit wasn't wasn't my choice. I just <laughs> want to show you. Anyway, and frankly, it's criminal that Martin hasn't been on before because Martin's got a absolutely impeccable Second World War grandparent heritage. Right. Because on one side, he's got a grandfather who was in one of the Scottish regiments, an infantryman. Is that yeah. right, Martin? He was infantryman. Uh, actually, that was the First World War. He was a Seaforth Highlander. Um, uh, if the Second World War fell between the generations, he was my grandfather. Scottish grandfather was too old for World War Two, and my Scottish father was too young. Uh, but right. He had, so he, uh, he, he had fell between Seaforth Highlander. Yeah, in First yeah. World War. But his other grandfather was in the SS and was a Gestapo officer. Oh, oh, yeah, gosh. It's just the most amazing story and I, I i just i'm still sort of kicking myself that we haven't had martin on to talk about this already um but how nice that three years into the podcast we can, we've still got this treat to come <laughs> well, well good welcome martin thanks for joining us um, yeah my oh, uh, my pleasure um now uh 
this is one of those things where, where the, the sort of question you have to really ask is, you know, how did you, I mean, did, did, how did you find this out? Is this a thing that everyone always knew in the family or was it a thing that revealed itself? Uh, it was divulged with one painful piece of factual extraction from my mother, German mother, yeah. uh, a, few, a few weeks after he died in 1992. And uh, we had known him. Uh, my mother is a Berliner by, yeah. by birth, born in 1937, came to Scotland in the late 50s, uh, like a lot of German women. Uh, I now suspect all probably fleeing ghastly Nazi dads, and a lot yeah. of them arrived in genteel corners of Scotland, particularly in Edinburgh, and they all married charming, lovely Scottish men and proceeded to become pillars of the Edinburgh establishment yeah. to the point yeah. they have their own own German circle. I grew up with these lovely ladies, and they'd all arrived as au pairs and English teachers. So my mother is married to my Scottish father and we visit Berlin pretty much every year. I'm older than James. I was born in 1960, but all through the yeah. 60s and 70s, we drive in an Austin 1100 from Edinburgh to Berlin every single summer and spend the summer there. So, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're obsessed. I mean, that's where my love, love sort of fascination with all this yeah. stuff born. We were walking around. 60s and 70s West Berlin, and on one occasion into East Berlin. My God. The, 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 the shadow of what it was your family had done in the war was something that the commando book in saturated yeah. brain of an 8, 9, 10, 12-year-old was absolutely <laughs> obsessed with. Yeah. But the yeah. Germans are really good at putting up a pretty, you know, it's, it's not just the Berlin Wall that cuts things off. It was the memory wall that they all constructed. And they were yeah. very, very, very good at uh, 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 making you feel very immature and stupid. And for asking. a bit of a show off for asking. And I don't think you uh, should be asking this and I, I, you don't understand. And I'd thank you to keep your questions to yourself. So you learnt very quickly to dodge and weave and work things out in first. So anyway, to cut long story short, I, I did not know what he had done. He dies in 1992 and I know my mother and the whole family had been had ended up in Prague at the end of the war and had a, a terrible encounter with the, uh, the, the, the the liberating Red Army in the Czech partisans. Yeah. Terrible story. And I remember asking my mother, I said, wait a minute, why were you? You were seven years old. What were you doing in Prague? I mean, if he had just been a soldier who'd been called up, you don't take your family with you. And at that point, I suspect with the burden of his actually being alive suddenly lifted, she said, no, he was in the SS. He was a Hauptsturmführer, but he had nothing to do with the camps. And I thought, whoa, <laughs> God. whoa, says you, says you, right? Yeah. Okay, well, you seem very certain about that. And, and at that point, I mean, the word Hauptsturmführer meant nothing. I had no idea what that was. And yeah. uh, the next day I, I had actually bought a booklet Previous time I'd been in Berlin, I'd gone to the to the newly opened to Topography of Terror, yeah, the 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 site of the old SS Gestapo headquarters, and they've done this amazing exhibition gallery space, and at the back they had a list of ranks, and I went down, oh, oh captain, oh that's not too senior. Anyway, then until you realise that it's more senior than Klaus Barbie. Well, well, it's <laughs> it's the same rank, it's the same rank as Mengele. Armand Gert from Schindler's List, yeah. uh, Klaus Barbie, and Hauptstur it was the most it was the most populated rank among the senior SS, yeah. and it was it was junior enough to sort of 
maybe imply, look, I, I wasn't a policymaker. I, I, I might still be construed as being a, a, a mover of pawns rather than... Yeah. Yeah. The, the, but it was senior enough to be in potentially to have been entrusted with the worst possible job. So it's a it's a it's a linchpin. It's a horrible fulcrum rank. And you think, Christ, there's no comfort in going, oh, he's too junior to have been up to his neck yeah. in it. Yeah. But on the other hand, you think, oh, maybe he wasn't senior enough to have done the really bad shit. So I I I I I, I found I found that out. And again, it percolated in my head uh, uh, just like a a billiard ball bouncing around the inside of my skull for a long time. And then it was, uh, uh, I mean, a number of years later that uh, it was on being told how relatively easy it had become to access Nazi documents courtesy of the Berlin Document Centre yeah. and its sister institution, it's, it, it, the Library of Congress in, in, in Maryland. They, they duplicated all the documents. Because at that point, the German government was starting to do that thing they always do, which is, yes, we've inherited the Berlin Document Center from the Americans in Berlin, but we're going to put pretty strict privacy restrictions on yeah. it. Um, um, and luckily, th 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 they couldn't make those because I, and I think, well, he's my grandfather. I, I, I'm, not, I'm breaching my own privacy. Yeah. Anyway, we, 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 my sister and I uh, uh, got hold of the first dossier, and we had no idea what one little scrap of paper, nothing, and we got a whole file. And at that point, I thought, oh my god! And it was it was the perfect outline, and it gave me the framework for uh, what I call a Nazi career. And suddenly, yeah. all the dates appeared. And all the different transitions. And what it occurred to me was what his life embodied was a perfect, I call it, it's like a barrier meal. If you want to follow the Nazi system <laughs> as it evolved, you follow this man's career because at every key point, he, his role, his complicity in it expanded alongside it. Yeah. So, so to, to, what we then discovered, he joined the SS in 1937, but that was only Act 3. This was a story who had Act 1 and Act 2. And Act 1 was, he joined a, a thing called the Front Barn, and that was Ernst Röhm's first attempt at a paramilitary organisation that predated the SA, the Brownshirts, the yeah. Sturm. So he, he was joining the sort of the street thugs, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He joined, he joined that in 1924, when it was still barely legal. And my we found there's a famous, there's a famous, one of the most extraordinary things that my sister and I then, because we then got our, our magnifying glasses and started trying to get the documents, was there's a famous, infamous book published in 1934 uh, after Hitler's come into power called Der Braune Armee ersteigt. The Brown Army Rises Up. And it's a little hymn of celebration to the new force, the new virile source of muscle in the re-energized new Third Reich of the Brown Army. And it's, 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 it's like a scout book. I mean, it's full of black and white photographs of wholesome men in the woods with their tents yeah, and their yeah. flags and yeah. their khaki shorts, uh, all, all looking not quite like Boy Scouts. There's something about the way they look down the lens of the camera that's a bit more menacing. But then we, my, we found there was a, 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 I mean, I've actually got it in front of me because it was so, in front of me now. It was such an amazing picture, which was a, a, like a, a football team shot of about 100 kids is what they are. And it's the front part, Wilmersdorf, uh, uh, Charlottenburg, Berlin, uh, 1924. We found him in the front row with his big ears. And we thought, oh, my God. <laughs> so he he he's he's a seventeen year old, and this stuff is starting to really speak to him. Right. All of just the, Martin, all Martin, of, just very quickly, yeah. though. What, what, I mean, where, where does this is this 
Is this all tied up with the end of the First World War? I mean, what are his parents? What were your yes. great grandparents yes. doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, it, that, it, that that then became the became the detective story. So we wanted to find out what the source is. So the guy is educated. He becomes a dentist by profession, and uh, so he's not unemployed. He's not a thug. Uh, you know, he, but he is somebody for whom the witch's brew of all of that post First World War Germany got, Germany got done. It got, under, yeah. you know, all, all of all of all of that familiar sort of satanic soup that the Germans uh, marinated themselves in, or certain Germans did. Yeah. So we then found out that his father, uh, 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 the, the, the trail took us from Berlin to a weird little town called Perleberg, which is halfway between Berlin and Hamburg. Um, and it's obviously been behind the Iron Curtain, so we were only then able to go and visit it. And it is the site of one of the biggest barracks in, uh, in that area of Berlin. So it is an imperial era Frederick the Great era barracks that had seen occupation by every generation of German troop, all the way from Frederick the Great to the uh, the Reichswehr uh, of the First World War to the Wehrmacht uh, after that uh, to Soviet and East German troops after you know, Warsaw Pact yeah. until it was it was it was sealed up in 1997. And we walked around this ghost town, my sister and I, this windswept. Uh, a, a site of these extraordinary, beautifully built brick buildings. And it turned out from a letter we discovered that his father had been what's called a, a Kasernenwachtmeister, which was a barracks um, caretaker, a uh, sort of manager. It, it yeah. means somebody with responsibility. And if you read the literature, particularly about who the early joiners were, the name, the word Wachtmeister comes up a lot. And they are the absolute... DNA of the thwarted nationalism of the First World War, who yep. are very, very much in a market for an answer for all their shame and resentment and humiliation that does not involve the army. And he will have absorbed all of that. The family then moves to Berlin. He joins the front one. And then in 1926, a day in May, I forget the exact date, he gets on a tube, <laughs> a tube, a Berlin U-Bahn, and dry, uh, take, takes a journey from his home there, living in the Charlottenburg area of northwest uh, Berlin, into the middle to this famous thing. It's called the Opium Den because it was so dark and full of smoke, which was the early embryonic Nazi party headquarters in Berlin, and signs up to the Nazi party with a party number of about 36,000, which is a small football crowd. Yeah, yeah. And the same day, the SA, and he joins uh, an SA regiment uh, based in, 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 in uh, uh, Charlottenburg. And it's just head and fist coming together that speaks to an extraordinary sense that this, this rolling snowball of Nazi rhetoric has got, really got a hold of him in every possible way. And then we followed his career. So what does he do with that? So that's act one. And act two takes us all the way through to, to, to he's a street fighting man for all of this. He's attached to one of the most violent, S, well, they call Sturm. Sturm, that's the, 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 the smallest sort of group that the SA works in. Usually about 60 men, usually based with a, 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 lo a local pub, a, a Sturm local. So yeah. that's your base, is a pub. And, and they go around beating up commies, don't they? So, Absolutely. And, so this and is sort of... Martin, this sounds, I mean, you know, uh, uh, sounds like sort of politically motivated football hooliganism, doesn't it, in, in, in a strange way? 
because be, because when 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 with football hooligans when when you know when when people write about them they they're always surprised by who who they are that they're not all you know plasterers or unemployed people or what, what um, and, and any plasterers listening please don't take that personally but but you know that there's actually a, a, a there are professionals that do it and solicitors and people who like the fighting but this has sort of got this has got this is fighting but with a there's a oh, grievance yeah. grievance built in and and a, and a, and, a, and a, you know a, 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 a rationale rather than a reason i think is the the way i'd put it oh uh, the, the 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 way of best expediting your commitment to the movement is with some brass knuckles marching yeah. provo- as provocatively as you can uh, Charlottenburg is next to an area called Wedding in yeah. North Berlin which is red Wedding that is the big yeah. proletarian working class district so that's a flashpoint um, as that's the part of Berlin he's in, and and Sturm Thirty Three is the the, the regiment, uh, the battalion that he he's in, and they are so bad. I, I found this as with all this research, you never bother with the university professors. You go and find the PhD writers, and I found this brilliant postdoc guy who'd done a PhD specifically on the SA Berlin nineteen twenty six to nineteen twenty nine. He and I went through the records, and we we discovered uh, uh, his his journey into this regiment. And they were so bad that the local liberal Berlin papers used to call them the the, the Murdersturm. These are the, the this is the murder battalion, and they instantly incorporated it into their marching song. We are the Murdersturm thirty three of North <laughs> Berlin, and uh, they, they they but they, there's a there's an absolutely brilliant little codicil to this, which is that it's four members of this regiment who are uh, they attack. Uh, with revolvers, they uh, break into a, a communist cinema club uh, at a place called the Eden Palace, and they shoot up the place and they beat up some communists and they get arrested because law and order is still notionally at work. This is, after all, the Weimar 20s. And uh, a very famous Berlin lawyer decides to take the case and he's going to nail these bastards. He's just going to nail them. And his name is Hans Litten. And Hans Litten is uh, uh, an extraordinary story. So he's this lawyer, 28-year-old Jewish socialist lawyer who makes his business out of I will prosecute the Nazis. And this is the famous court case where he subpoenas Hitler. He, yes. sub- he puts, puts Hitler in the dock to show, surely, to the persuasive yeah. persuasion of, uh, of everyone, look, this man, pre- he's riding two horses. He preaches peace and respectability and German self-respect, and he is running these street marauding gangs at the same time. Surely, yeah. Germans, you can see that. And famously, infamously, runs rings round Hitler for three or four hours in the court. The, 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 the judge adjourns the court, um, and Hans Litten's card is then marked. And that... Yeah. that, that that was the prompt. I then had the great pleasure of being able to commission for BBC Two a drama based on yeah. the on the on the story, uh, with Tom Stoppard's um, son Ed Stoppard playing Hans Litten. And then yeah. went to, to the West End. It was a, a it was a West End play written by a screenplay a, a script by a, a, a colleague of mine called Mark Hayhurst, um, and it won a. Um, it was Olivier nominated the year that Charles the Third won, and Penelope Hilton won. Uh, uh, she played um, uh, Hans Litten's mother, so 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 he was he was up to his neck in the most street fighting chapter, and Sturm Thirty Three is also the 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 first of you know we all a lot of people will be familiar with the Horst Vessel story, yeah the 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 the, the, the SA pimp who is shot dead and is an opportunity for Goebbels to mount 
a great piece of Nazi martyrdom theater. You know, he, this is, this is the, the great sacrificial uh, uh, heroism that characterizes the movement whose dawn yeah. is now breaking over in New Germany. Well, the precursor to that was a man called Hans Mayakovsky, who is shot dead by a communist on the very night that Hitler takes power in January, uh, January 1933. And that is Bruno's, my grandfather's name is Bruno, Bruno Lankbein. Uh, that was his regiment. So, so his regiment are in the in in in, in the front of the funeral cortege, uh, uh, which is Goebbels then makes a huge big deal of a um, yeah, massive yeah. state funeral for this nobody, Hans Mikowski, and uh, they'll get beaten. At, there's a great brawl uh, uh, with the cortege at the um, at the cemetery <laughs> with a whole bunch of communists, um, and uh, 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 there's a description Bruno gives of you know we gave as good as we got, you know how dare they? Do they not understand their day is over? So, so he was a man who, who, who as I, I, I then pulled the threads together of his career, you just think party, 1926, party number 37. That entitled him to the gold party badge. You know, the, 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 you had to have yeah, a party yeah. number. Yeah. You had to have a party number of less than 100,000 to get the badge. And I remember asking, brilliant, uh, 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 when I say Nazi, I mean historian of Nazi Germany, uh, 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 <laughs> what that meant. And he said it meant straight to the front of every queue, VIP treatment at every party uh, gathering or assembly. Those things were, 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 were so important because Hitler, unlike Stalin, is famous for loving his Alter Kempfer, his old fighters, you know, the, the, the original joiners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a band of prestige. And, and, and Bruno is a man to brandish it. He will have loved all of that. Um, and anyway, we, 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 so by that point, we've got a head of steam up trying to work out who is this guy? What's he done? And he's now qualified as a dentist um, uh, 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 and he's working while at the same time having a parallel career in the SA. Through the night of the long knives, the other thing that his Sturm 33 gets involved in is it becomes very wrapped up with one of the most... Um, uh, problematic parts of the SA who re resent Hitler robbing the SA of what they think is their rightful role as the vanguard of the new of the new Reich. That <laughs> moment when Hitler realizes he's got to placate the right yeah. by decapitating the left. And Bruno, of course, I'm now beginning to realize a pattern. He has a decision: is it the SA, my? Kriegskameraden in the SA, the, my brown colleagues, or is it Hitler and the party that I follow? And of course, he chooses Hitler and the party. He sits on one of the tribunals that judges his fellow SA colleagues for whether they had been ideologically on the right side of history. Um, so a huge kind of promotion. Uh, by this time, also, uh, what is he? He's born in 1906, so he's, he's not. He's, he's, he's not even. He's, he's barely 30. Um, and he gets given as a reward for being an Alterkempfer. There's a massive job where he's put in charge of all of Berlin's dentists. He's not even 30 and he's given this job, which is, of course, what they did. You, you, yeah. you, you, um, and you toe the now, line, you prove yourself a good Nazi, you get the yeah, leg up. Yeah, and he's now responsible for ensuring uh, the, the expulsion of every single Jewish dentist from Berlin. And also, of course, uh, 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 in that extraordinary convergence of Nazi priorities, health insurance. Who gets health insurance and who doesn't? Whose health is worth preserving and whose is simply a waste of national spirit? So the health insurance, it sounds like a very anodyne 
tedious thing, but actually it's the front line of Nazi policy. So he is now a policymaker, as well as being a street, a street thug, and he is helping devise the, the mechanisms by which valuable life gets yep. medical treatment and, you know, and all the rest, as well as ensuring what they call the Gleichschaltung, the, the, the drawing together under the Nazi umbrella of every single German association, trade guild, club, any kind of collective body. And his responsibility is to purge all the Jewish dentists out of, out of, out of Berlin, which I'm imagining he does extremely uh, effectively. But it's in 1937 that, again, he's such a good reader of, you know, there is a disturbance in the force, which is the brown shirts, not important anymore. They're handing out leaflets at party assemblies, but now this is not where the the power has moved and where has it moved to. It's obviously, it's the SS and it's the SS that have uh, have arisen up and answered Hitler's call in 1937 for, uh, uh, you people who think all I'm here to do is build autobahns, clean the streets, make the trains run on time and regain our self-respect. No, 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 no. I have two other projects. One is World War One is going to be fought again and this time we're going to win it. And secondly, there will be no Jewish life left in Germany. Yeah. And none of you seem to get this. And the only people who really get that are the SS go, leave it with us. We understand. And that's the point where a lot of German people, you often get when you meet older Germans, well, not anymore, they're all dead, but 20 years ago, and I, I, I met a lot of them, you say, if only Hitler had died in 1939. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And what, what they mean by that is, to quote that great um, uh, Frederick Douglass phrase, they loved the ocean, just not its mighty roar. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. they loved the clean streets and the, the straight back and the riffraff have been removed and the price gouges have gone and, and the autobahns are fantastic and the factories are, unemployment is down and everyone, everyone's got a spring in their step. Very few of them actually... Uh, of course, there's a lot of anti-Semitism in Germany, but it's not. There's, they, they, most Germans don't even know any Jewish people. It's not yeah. something that's. They're, and they certainly don't want a rerun of World War One. Are you joking? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it's the SS that represents Hitler. Hands the torch to them. Say, right, you understand. You're the only ones who really understand what I'm here for. And the autobahns and the unemployment. That's just. That's just an overture for the for the the real thing. And that's exactly Martin, I just, I mean, it's, it's such an important point. It's one about, you know, because the, the question ever since is, you know, how much did Germans, Germans know and how, how much were they really behind <laughs> Hitler and all the rest of it? And, and you've, you've just touched on a really important, important point there. But just, I, I, I'm keen to come back to his, his, his SS career, but do you mind if you just very briefly just sort of fast forward? Because one of the things I do remember is at the beginning of your book, there's this sequence of photographs of you as a baby being held by your, you know, inverted <laughs> yeah. commas, adoring grandfather on a beach or something. It all looks like a sort of perfect ha family, ha you know, happy family snap. I mean, and I, what I remember was him when you, when you were sort of a late teenager. There was all this stuff about him trying to kind of sort of recruit you wasn't he it was grooming. kind of really weird it was grooming 
Yeah, yeah, it was Gosh. very weird. They, 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 uh, when he, he, so my he, question he, really was, you know, what was he yeah. like? What do you remember yeah. oh, right. of him? Loved, and how do you, how can you yeah. separate? Can you separate what you now know from what you remember as a as a child of him? Well, uh, he was always a tricky character. There was about him. He was a a larger than life, big, booming man. Great shock of silver hair by that point, and quite a girth. And uh, he was a, an absolute bon vivant. Cigars. He used to give me boxes of cigars, and used to like getting me drunk as a fifteen year old because to do two things one wind up my mother and secondly slightly wind me up I think he yeah. he, he like slightly groom me I remember you know because by that point in view of what I was saying earlier you know I I would I had learned my I had learned how to walk on eggshells you know you just didn't mention anything but they it God, talk about elephants in the room uh, and I I, 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 I yeah. remember him just telling me yeah now Martin 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 big suck of his cigar and his Martel cognac Martin the thing the thing is um, and my German at that point was O-level, German only, so it was quite difficult to... And he spoke no English. Um, and he said, you know, the thing I love to do most is is meet my Kriegskameraden, my war... And I went, Krieg, Krieg. Oh, is he just said war? What is war yeah, friends? Yeah. And he would describe that very traditional German uh, tradition uh, uh, called the Stammtisch. So in a lot of old-fashioned pubs, you have a table behind a curtain at the back and local societies will book it. So on Tuesday nights, it's the chess club. On Wednesday night, it's stamp collectors. Right. And on Thursday night in this it's, particular pub... It's the SS. It's the SS. <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's the Odessophile. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and, 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 and he just sat there smoking, watching me with this... It's like, this, like a hot coal in my lap. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, and uh, he gave me, uh, you know, you would arrive and you'd give presents, you know, like grandparents do, you haven't seen for a while. And I remember he gave me, uh, 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 I mean, this sound like I was reading a lot into it, but he gave me Ernst Jünger's Storm of Steel. The best book ever written about the First World War, which indeed it is. Yeah. But wow, the proto Nazism in that book, you know, that you are never more alive than when you're surrounded by the dead. The the idea that instead of the pity of war, it's the it's 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 steel and marble. You know, that that very different German conception of what sacrifice is in a huge contrast to the British sense of of, of elegy and... The pity of war the, the, and all that, yeah. The pity yeah. of war and, well, we have to win it, but we certainly won't enjoy it while we're doing it compared to the German sense of yeah. this, in fact, nothing will ever beat this experience, so you may as well get killed. Uh, uh, and, and, and that instead, of it, the pitilessness of war yeah. is actually what you get from Ernst Jünger. Um, and I remember thinking, okay, right, it's not not about World War Two. It doesn't have Nazis in it, but okay, Nazi adjacent. Um, he then gave yeah, me. Yeah. I remember he, he knew I quite like classical music, so he gave me an LP, uh, a Deutsche Grammophone recording of Liszt's Hungarian Rhapsody. Then you discovered that was the music that every German radio broadcast began with, with big news about the war. It was pumped all over Berlin on on loudspeakers before you know. Now the Führer. So you're going, okay, not not slam dunk. I mean, it's a famous piece of music. It has meanings other than how the Nazis used it. But there was a sort of pattern. And, and I know it drove my mother mad. I could tell she was really, really antsy, hovering around. And I suddenly realised later in my life, this very important thing about a book like this or a, a, a project like this is only the grandkids can do it. The parents, the children can't, not in Germany. Not in Germany, they're too close. And uh, uh, they, 
And what my grandfather was doing, he had recruited them as his secret keeper. They were the secret keeper. He wasn't. He just loved. And, and, and when I say he was unrepentant, he gloriously was unrepentant. Not in the sense of shivering in the corner of the room, nursemaiding, Fourth Reich, boys from Brazil fantasies. No, 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 no. Fortunes of war, we rolled the dice and we lost. But as was always his view, Everything we said about the world has turned out right. It was the Russians all along. It was the Soviets. They were the problem. We told you. We tried to tell you. And there yeah, was a yeah. sense of huge finality in his life. I remember one of the reasons I was prompted to write the book was I thought, you're not having the last word. Because he died in 1992, months after the Berlin Wall had come down. And he had a flat at that point. He was living in the Tempelhof area. Could practically see the wall. And I thought, he will have read that as being that at last closes the book on the most important experience of the 20th century in which I played an important role. And yes, it wasn't to be. In the end, we bit off more than we could chew and American terror bombing and Soviet nightmare crushed the dream, so be it. But I've had a very good post-war life and I got to see the Russian empire collapse. I can die a requited man. And I thought, no, you can't. <laughs> I'm not having you have, I'm not having you with the last, because I, I, I remember giving a tour. I did, you know, the book festival thing when I published the book and, and I had great sessions. And there was one I was doing at the Hay Festival and, and, and somebody said, it was a German person, said, oh, you, this is just washing your dirty linen in public. You're just getting off on this. I mean, how dare you? And I remember thinking about that and I thought, okay, well, interesting point to which I had two answers for why I actually thought I'm going to do it. First of all, there's a difference between a secret life and a private life. I wasn't revealing details of his private life. This is, and the thing about a secret life, the only reason it was secret was because they lost. If he'd won, if the Germans had won, he'd have been shouting it from the rooftops. He'd have been, he'd have been, he'd have been, uh, 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 he'd have milked every last drop of all the prestige that that victory would have conferred. Um, and, and to me, that was, to me, that was the, the answer alongside a sense of, um, you're not getting the last word. Uh, you've gone to your grave thinking you've got away with it. You've, you've tormented everyone around you with your, the hints that you've dropped in their lap, um, and all the discombobulation that that has caused. And you've been smirking inside yourself all this time, harboring that knowledge with your Kriegskameraden. Um, and I thought, no, to hell with it. I'm, 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 I'm blowing the whistle. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We'll take a break and we'll be back in a second. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, 
Was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii, okay? And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy, and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Was your mother still alive when you wrote the book? Mm. So what? And still is. So, yeah. so, well, it still is. Oh, uh, so, so what's what's her attitude? For, I mean, there's two questions. What's her? What was her attitude? As you say, she was embarrassed by him and all that sort of thing, and and sort of yeah. uh, uh, as as you might well be. But 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 what's her attitude to you having done this? To to, to having you know talked about this. She and her, her, she has a, a, a sister a year older with a very good um, um, SS name of Gudrun, um, and uh, uh, they, they all they were all given North German. So my mother is Frauke, which is a very Schleswig-Holstein, very yeah. very good German names. Yeah, um, and 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 their view was well. They, they, they were uncomfortable with the idea, but they knew I had I'd spent my life working in, in history. Yeah. I mean, in the documentary. And I felt, you know, my view to them was, I said, I've pointed my camera lens at lots of people and expected them to divulge their secret histories. Um, at this point, I'm going to turn the lens on myself and I yeah. will, I will, I will, I will. I will use all the same tools. I will not sensationalize. Uh, I will not lie. Um, and also I will actually make a virtue out of this story that yes there is a lesson from history and 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 I, I, i'll explain what i think that lesson is yeah. um, um, um but but first of all so so there was a really interesting moment with my mother who was uh, just a poor and to be honest hasn't read the book uh, and i i don't need her to she lived it she didn't need to read me and i i actually became i started off in my in my sort of um such sophomore arrogance of thinking, I just don't understand why aren't you interested in this? And and then I realised, oh, Martin, calm down. This was an eight-year-old cowering in a Prague cellar, watching German women be dragged out by, by Czech partisans and branded with red-hot metal. Uh, 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 because Prague at the end of the war was the bloodiest, you know, between May the 11th and May the 14th, a week after May the 8th, was the scenes of the worst reprisals of the whole of occupied Europe um, for very interesting 
for interesting reasons. So I thought, oh, look, you've lived with the trauma. I haven't. So lay off her. She, she doesn't need to. So, so she gave it a, an official blessing in the sense of, well, okay, uh, maybe it would be quite interesting for people to know what he actually did. But the, the real psychological breakthrough was I showed to her that, that here was a career that lasted, a Nazi career that spanned 20 years. And at every single moment when Bruno was presented with a choice, more in or you're just going to cruise control and he would go, no, more in, I'm more in. And I said at every single moment he had a choice, family or party, he chose party. And she went, Oh, to hell with him. To hell with him. And I think what happened was a bubble burst in my thinking, I've spent my life dancing on eggshells for this man. Yeah. It's over. He's yeah. what, you know, he's been... Why? Who, who am I protecting from what? Um, oh. And after that... But the, the interesting thing about Germans and memory, I would say, and I found this, I found this fascinating. So, so, so apart from having divulged that thing right at the beginning, oh yes, he was in the SS, he was a Hauptsturmführer, and he wasn't in the camps. She, she was no good at, uh, at any other question, like, oh, you know, did he wear black? I mean, what, what was, what, what did he have? Yeah. What, what, what other things did he do? What was he doing? In, you know, no, no idea. Don't know. Don't know. Portcullis would come crashing down. So I tried a different question. And the thing is, if you, you know, those of us who have kids know that when they're about seven or eight, do they know the details of what our jobs are? No, but they know where they rate in the world. So if you'd asked my eight-year-old, then eight-year-old, so what does daddy do? Oh, he works in television. Well, what exactly does he do? He wouldn't know. We <laughs> have no yeah. idea. But is he important? And I asked my mother that question. Yeah, was he an important man? And before she could stop herself, oh, yes, really important man. Every night, a dispatch rider came to the flat with an attaché case full of papers for him to sign, waited for him, and then took them off before she could stop herself. Yeah. And I thought, oh, Amazing. See, that's interesting. That's, and, and that's where the ambivalence was, because you're a child and you're, you're surfing the wave of your, of your parents' important job, and that rubs off on you a bit. How, how can it not? And I, 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 I realised, oh, I mean, I didn't press it because I thought, oh, there's no point rubbing your nose in it. You were seven years old. I mean, yeah. you know, you've got nothing to do with it. Um, but, the, the, you know, that sense, and I think it spoke to what was so important to him about it, which was, I think his memory for the rest of his life was, I was a really important man. So st status is a big part of it. And, and, Which and, is what the SS was all about. Well, exactly. And in, fact, with rank. and in fact, an awful lot, an, an awful lot of what, the the, the 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 you know the Nazi revolution is about is is trying to reassert German status, isn't it? Per, personal and national, and and that's why Absolutely. the idea of a Volksgemeinschaft works in that sense. Um, uh, can tie into why individuals can can feel that that they that they're opting into into a thing rather than uh, uh, you know rather than having to propel it, they're part of of that propulsion. I mean, I. Status is, 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 is key, really, isn't it? And Hitler's offering people status, the movement's offering people status. Uh, uh, and, yeah. and the credibility that actually that sort of bumps you up through class structure and stuff. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It circumvents class structure. You know, you structure. can play yeah. at having servants and chauffeurs and, yeah. you know, yes, yes. people uh, bringing uh, you... In, uh, Documents to sign every day, and yeah, you know, and 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 his case, it was a shortcut to a top job, uh, uh, you know, running uh, Berlin's dentists as part of the DAF, the German uh, Workers Front. It was the, the you know the, the the replacement for the trade union system was the the German Labour Front. Yeah, and uh, you know he had a, a senior role. Well, in no way in old Germany would he have 
got that because he hadn't done a PhD. He hadn't he hadn't he hadn't come from a rich enough family, um, and there would have been uh, all sorts of status hurdles for t- him to have jumped that he wouldn't have been able to, and that short circuited short circuited the 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 uh, uh, the currency that he he had was proven ideological. The the, the the word that the all the SS documents that we read all his files had was überzeugt, committed, fully persuaded. Uh, uh, you know he was he was he was a an absolutely conscious this stuff really speaks to me and i will do whatever it takes across every single front that the 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 the, the, the nazi system is, unf- is 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 unfurling i will you know if it's policy street fighting because um, uh, the, the other thing interesting thing about his ss career was it wasn't just the ss he joined he joined a very particular department called the sd the sicherheitsdienst mm. yes, and the sicherheitsdienst so they they were the party they were the party analogy to the Gestapo. The Gestapo was run by the Prussian state, by the German state, uh, but the SD was specifically a Nazi organization run by Heydrich, um, and it had two main. Well, early on, it had uh, it, it was general intelligence gathering of the sort. What what are what what are people thinking? Um, uh, ideological enemies of they were the sort of the Praetorian Guard for the idea of national socialism. So they they fancied themselves to be a, a, a not only an elite within an elite, but an elite within an elite within an elite because they're all <laughs> intelligent. They're all writing PhDs. They're all writing. Right. Great, I have read them. I mean, fascinating positioning statements on 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 all the hypocrisies of English liberal democracy. You know, it, it's 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 they, they, that's their job. They're a think tank for what it is we need. To, what what protection does the Nazi idea need? Um, and his particular speciality is right wing national Nazi opponents, and we sort of forget that we think. What right wing? I mean, aren't the Nazis right wing? Well, they were of a particular sort. They were very suspicious of monarchists, uh, people who wanted the Kaiser back, people who were the wrong kind of traditional aristocratic right wingers, um, and that was that was his particular uh, speciality. But of course, the other uh, towards so the he's war, doing intelligence time, work and dentistry at the same time. Yes, yes, and 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 it's it's surveillance work. It's surveillance work. I I I I'm keeping my eye on. There's a there's a group of people who I think that. They're, they're on the surface, they seem very committed to the regime, but I think they harbour some problematic ideas about exactly wh- what direction Nazi Germany should be going in. So it's, it's keeping tabs uh, uh, on, 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 on sources of opinion, but we're, we're very used to the story that has the Nazis crushing the left, the trade unionists, the social democrats, the communists, but actually they have as big a problem, not as big, they have an equal problem with the right, the wrong kind of right. So that's what he's doing. But of course, by the time of the war, the SD has broken up into two main roles. One is they are the architects, the self-appointed architects of what will become the Holocaust. And the other is counterinsurgency. Um, uh, and, and, and this is the point where there's only two, 300 of them. It's a tiny, tiny group. And there was an well, in the whole SD, in the in the senior, yeah, the senior echelons of the SD, the think tank part of the SD, it's a tiny number, um, and uh, and he's it, one it, of them. To, he's one of the three hundred. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and his first his first um, his first job, he, he's appointed in nineteen thirty seven at the at the rank of Untersturmführer, second lieutenant, gets promoted to Obersturmführer, first lieutenant, and then Hauptsturmführer, captain, and that's where he stops. Um, uh, uh, and and the thing about the uh, the SD is they're all cheap by child. They know they're the elite of the elite. They 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 are privy to everything. Um, and to go back to when James mentioned uh, uh, the, the photograph in my book of me as a 
nine-month-old plump baby being bounced up and down by him on a, a East Lothian beach near Edinburgh where he'd come to visit cues up another story. So 1961, he came to visit my mother in, in Edinburgh, uh, obviously on also to see me, you know, I'm her firstborn, so I'm, I'm his first grandchild, so there's, there's that. But what's happening on television every night in 1961 is the Eichmann trial from Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah. And there's news footage of it. And my mother, again, before she could stop herself, said, oh, this terrible thing happened. He turned round to me and said, oh, Eichmann, I knew him really well. He offered me a job. And, and at that point, my mother ran out of the room, said, never speak of this ever again. And, and, and so I'm thinking, oh, right, okay. Um, I've never found any evidence that he, got, he took up that because uh, uh, I don't, I think he, he the, the evidence we have, he was in what was called umped sex, um, uh, office department six, which was counterinsurgency. So his job in Prague was after the assassination of Heydrich in, in 42. The, the, the Prague is a hotbed of parachuting in. Um, 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 SOE uh, types uh, and agents. Yeah, and yeah. And and the Germans are very aware that Prague, because Prague is 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 is, is um, Czechoslovakia is close to Germany, but it's 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 uh, it's vulnerable. To, so he's he he's doing that. But the again, what what was so fascinating about watching somebody develop who had who had gone from the SA to the SS, the SS to the SD, and then you watch what the SD turns into, and Heydrich's obsession with the SD, which is this terrible combination. Yes, you've all got your law PhDs, and a lot of them did, but you're all going to do wet work. All yeah. of you are going to go and run Einsatzgruppen. Prove to me you're not just bookworms. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the SD is a bad, bad, bad business. Uh, 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 and, and, and that was the point where I think he's now entered the, I mean, that is the, that's that's the, 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 the you know the front room to perdition yeah um uh, just to be in and, and even if he didn't work with eichmann he would have drunk with him he'll have yeah. sat there swapping war stories about oh you know uh how 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 frustrating it was that my work clearing out all the jews from vienna wasn't recognized because eichmann is famously pissed off that he's never promoted above uber Sturmbannführer, Lieutenant Colonel, and he doesn't understand why isn't he a Brigadeführer or a Gruppenführer, and he, he's never and he's really angry about it for the rest of the war. And uh, part of his story is again and again and again. Look what I can do, Hungary, March, April, nineteen forty-four. It's his big moment to show the world that the final solution has no better operative than me. Just look at what I can do. I'm the, I, I, it's the crowning moment of my career. I can do deportation, like n just watch me. And you still don't think I'm worth being more than a Lieutenant Colonel? So, so this is a really, really toxic part of the Nazi world for him to be in. And he has wormed his way there by conscious decision at every key point. And, and, one of one of the things I was very keen to do, and I think is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm very sad to say we did sell foreign editions of the book, but never to Germany. And I realised that my tone of voice was wrong. If you write one of these books, and there are lots of them in German, the tone of voice has to be much more in sorrow than in anger. It has to be in thus and thus we learn a lesson about the whole of humanity. Yeah, and right. My tone, my tone was. I hate that tone. It just makes it's, to me, it's yeah, yeah. nails on a chalkboard. My tone was: this man 
could not have had more widely opened eyes. Every single decision he made, whether it was a mix of opportunism or idealism, was deliberate to its core. And at every key moment, time and time and time again, he weighed up all the options and decided that the the, the next stage in the Nazi story was one he wanted to play a leading role in. Yeah. And I, I took him at his word. I took him at his word. I yeah. decided, right, you, 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 you. It certainly looks to me like you knew what you were doing, and and you did what you knew. Uh, right. Well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to pretend that somehow. Oh, I don't know. This was there was something else at work. There was some other psychological mechanism, and that. And, and, and that, he was and completely that, unrepentant, wasn't he? I mean, totally. Unrepentant. Completely unrepentant. Yeah, yeah. Completely, completely unrepentant, uh, 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 except for the fact they lost. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, 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 you know, he, he, he. Um, uh, you know, one 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 last story. I'll, I'll, I'll explain that. So, so after the war, uh, they're caught in Prague, um, and uh, as I was uh, describing, the 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 the, the Czech liberal, you know, the, the 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 Czech partisans arise in a way that never happens in Rotterdam or Paris, or, or even Warsaw. Uh, this is extraordinary. And Benesch, the, the the exiled leader of the Czechs, he's arrived in Bratislava and he's working his way uh, west. And he basically says, "Look, Czechoslovakia, you have a week to show the world." That actually, you didn't have the slightly more comfortable war you had here uh, uh, cannot be held against you because Prague is a prize posting. Yeah. It's not bombed. Yeah. Beer is flowing. The arms manufacturing means high standard of living. There is terrible repression. I'm not going to pretend for a moment. I mean, Heydrich wasn't just nicknamed the hangman of Prague for, for no reason. People are being rounded up and executed by the hundreds. But it's not Warsaw. Um, and uh, 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 so the Czechs arise uh, uh, up and the, the scenes of reprisals, marauding SS people with nothing left to live for, machine gunning at random, being machine gunned at random, hang from lampposts, German civilians being made to run from one end of a football pitch to another through machine gun fire. There's archive. Uh, an extraordinary archive. I, 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 commi I commissioned I commissioned a film about this um, at the BBC, and it, it had this this archive of uh, two hundred German men, women, and children uh, lined up a, a, a ditch, shot in secret from somebody's balcony, and just mown down. So people are being killed, and Bruno dumps his uniform. There's a caretaker in the block of flats still there, went to have a look at it, um, who he has befriended. So he's got civilian clothes. He's still arrested. And he's made to kneel after various tribunals, kneel uh, 12 of them, and uh, a Czech shoots them one by one in the back of the head. And he gets to the last two. And a Russian soldier intervenes and says, enough bloodshed. And he and one other person survive. Uh, he's then put in a Soviet camp. But he's back in Berlin seven or eight months later. It's my mother, her mother and two sisters who went up in a Czech labor camp for 18 months before they get back uh, to Berlin. They then moved to Hamburg under an assumed name. And, and, and it's, so, it's so cynical. So the name they take, when the, the, the family name was Lunkbein, and they changed it to Holm, H-O-L-M, which is the name of the street they're living on. You're thinking, God, try a bit harder. <laughs> um, because he's obviously on every damn list. You know, yeah. he's a member of the SD. And then in 1949, the, particularly the British, because Hamburg's in the British sector, We've got other fish to fry, namely the Cold War, Operation Paperclip, all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, to, uh, we haven't got the energy for more of these wretched Nazis. And also we have to get West Germany up and running. And there's a, a moment, my mother remembers this. Oh, yes, he gets a phone call to say, 
that, that, that you're not on the, the blacklist and the black and amnesty. So we've got this document from the, 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 the Wedel, which is a suburb of Hamburg uh, near Schleswig-Holstein, which says the family formerly known as Holm are now officially re reverting to their familiar name and Lankbein, and they're all, they're, there they all are. And you're thinking, what can that form mean except that this was a Nazi in hiding? There is no other reason you could possibly have had yeah. to change your name. But he's so committed, I'm changing back. And the first thing he then does, now it's safe to do it, is move straight back to West, what is now West Berlin, straight back to Charlottenburg, to the very area, the very streets where he had spent all these years up through the movement, uh, 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 qualifies, he, you know, he gets his personal shine, the, the infamous denazification document that, you know, washes you whiter than white and gets nicknamed after the laundry detergent, a personal uh, shine. Yeah. Um, and he's practicing again. And then I have all these photographs of him having the best economic miracle, West German prosperity story in his endless uh, 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 cigars, Bakelite phones, TVs, um, surrounded by very convivial gatherings of other Germans who, for whom the war is a, now a very distant uh, uh, experience. And it was, it was that cynicism, I suppose you, you would call it, which is the moment the spotlight is off. Uh, the Allies are no longer, I'm no longer on a list. The first thing you do is you get back your family name and you head straight back to the absolute epicenter of where it all happened in order to marinate yourself in it for the rest of your life. And I thought that was, and he, the one thing he was proudest of, I remember him telling me, was that in those days, West Berlin, as you'll probably remember, for anyone uh, not a German to get into West Berlin, there were three motorway roads. Uh, uh, the, the most familiar one was near Hanover through Helmstedt, four hour drive to Berlin, but there's one from Bavaria and one from the north. Or there were two airlines, Pan Am and one other, were the only Western airlines allowed in. And he was so proud of the fact, he said, I can never drive out of West Berlin, I can only ever fly. Because what he meant by that was he'd have had to have gone through a Soviet checkpoint and I'd have been, obviously the implication was I'd, I'd have been picked up in two seconds. <laughs> so so he, was, he, was, wow. he was cashing in on his notoriety. No, he was very pleased with that, 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 that black mark. And, and the, but the only other sort of bizarre thing about oh, how all that paperwork worked was in, in, in 1976, I remember he came to visit us after he'd come back from America. And he, he was telling, oh, yes, and I flew over the Grand Canyon in New York. And I'm thinking, do you remember those green part, uh, visa waivers you had to fill in on the, on the 747 as it was landing at JFK? Yes. One of the questions of which was, have you, are you or have you ever been a member of terrorist organisation, including the Nazi party? And I, and I remember before I knew about Bruno, I was looking at that form <laughs> and laughing, thinking, oh, probably not. And you think, so he will have happily gone, night. And you thought, oh, the, the, I mean, whereby hangs the tale of what on earth could West Germany in particular have done differently after yeah. the war? We know, we know that not only did the medium and small fish and some quite big fish, not only did they get away with it, but uh, there were quite a lot of effort helped to let, give them a leg up back to their old jobs. I mean, you know. It, 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 it's it's you know you it's the most endless. amazing story, Martin. It really it's is in, absolutely absolutely amazing, incredible, Martin. Incredible. Ma can I can I ask what was his funeral like? Who came to his funeral? 
Ah, uh, nobody. He had. Uh, uh, so the last time I was in his flat, uh, I, I was uh, so interesting. The, the thing that my biggest regret in all of this was I never had a chance to personally confront him with all this. Yeah. So it was 1992, and I was in Berlin by coincidence. I was a, I was a, uh, you know, I, I did English at university. I was history was far too hard, and and I was a, you know, a sort of droopy old arts producer doing droopy old arts programs at that point, and um, and I was in Berlin by coincidence to make a film about the restaging of the famous degenerate art exhibition. So in 1937, Goebbels had famously constructed two exhibitions, one of all the, the avant-garde, twisted, broken, modern, brackets, Jewish, modern art, put up on a wall to be demonized and, 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 and hated, next to Hitler's art in the, in the, in the you know, the, the, all those terrible pneumatic nudes with their with their sort of an, an, an anatomically ludicrous pubic bushes that he was obsessed with. Um, and and, and, and uh, in 1992, the big museum in LA had decided to restage the degenerate art just as a kind of a, a way of understanding the role of art in a fascist regime. And it was in Berlin, so I was making a film about it. And we went while we were there. So this was the first time I'd actually really grappled with the whole history of, because obviously his background, I had to read all this stuff. Um, and we went to see him while I was there filming. My mother and sister were in Berlin as well. And we went to his flat in, in, in the Tempelhof area of Berlin, quite a scrutty little flat. Um, and he had just gone into hospital. He had prostate cancer. And, 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 and I remember saying to my mother, oh, shouldn't we go and visit him? She said, no, he's, he's absolutely forbidden. She said, uh, nobody's to see him except me. So my mother and her sister went and my sister, my sister and I didn't. And three weeks later, he's dead. And he has, there is a German phrase for it, and I've forgotten, but it's, it's, it's a completely anonymous funeral. No headstone, nothing, nobody. And I, I, I don't know what to read into that, but there was a slight, I mean, yes, it was a kind of weird sort of self-abnegation at the last, I don't know. Um, um, uh, but but no, 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 no funeral as such. At least we were spared the charade of, yeah. of sitting there weeping crocodile tears for this Yes, monster. it's not like Walter Ralph, is it? In, 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 no. In Santiago no, no. with the whole Hitlering no, no. and everything. No, no, no. So, so it's so just was... amazing. It's just incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. God. And, and you, you. I mean, you wrote the book a, a little while ago now. I mean, you yeah, twenty ten. Yeah. And you're now doing. I mean, just you're now doing this this work, aren't you? On 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 the Nazis and. Well, I, I mean, it was it was it was really. I mean, the the the, the thing I would absolutely admit is the book I wrote. Um, uh, it was lighter on human drama and human psychodrama than I would have liked. I, I didn't have diaries. I didn't have letters. I didn't have personal encounters. So by by default, a lot of it is historical reconstruction, which I'm really interested in. But but is 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 a harder ask for the reader. Um, you know, I know that. In fact, there was a friend of mine who bought my book quite recently. He said, "Well, oh, you know, all that stuff about the SD was quite interesting, but God, what, but what was going on in his head?" And I thought, "Oh, I wish I could tell you. I just don't know." Um, but so I've, I have got inter I did get interested in it. it. What it made me think was, there are a lot of books in Germany and German history. Uh, we got millions of books about the the first division monsters, the Himmlers, the Heydrichs, the Goebbels, and we have quite quite a lot of books about what the wider German population did or did not know at what particular point. But what fascinated me about Bruno was he was the 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 the, the cadre in the middle that nobody ever bothers with, the enabler, the ten thousand or so without whom it would never have happened, and. Yep. The reason why I got interested was I, at that point, was working in the BBC and I was quite senior. I was a commissioning editor. I sort of ran a, t a commissioning team. I wasn't the director general. 
but I wasn't just a junior researcher either. And I got really interested in, oh, right, so, so how, how, how do I fit into this? And I remember Robert J. Lift, Robert J. Lifton, I did a little piece with him, who's the author of that famous book, Nazi Doctors. And yes. it was the book that tried to understand not only why uh, doctor, how it was that doctors could overcome their own Hippocratic Oath in order to perpetrate these terrible things, but actually they were required to. So in Auschwitz, a soldier, just an ordinary auxiliary, could pour the Zyklon B into the gas chamber, but to administer a lethal injection, it had to be a doctor. And, 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 and it's kind of bizarre barrier. Um, and, and anyway, he was saying it's all about, you know, it's, it's about professional, how professional culture works. And so I was working on a big collective TV program at the time. And he said, OK, here's here's a question. Look out the window. 30 people there. How many of them are Jews? Oh, OK, looked out. Well, there's, there's three. And my friend Cherie, that's, you know, there's, there's two or three I know for a fact to be Jewish. Um, he said, OK, so this is what happens. Um, New regime. So, so Martin, um, you run this team. You've got 40 people. Do you think it's wise? Do you think those three, do you think they should, just for the moment, do you think they should be out making films, running a crew, writing scripts? Look, you've seen what's going on. I think we should just weather the storm. Everything will calm down. But till then, maybe just keep them in the office. Oh, OK. Well, if you, if you think so, well, a word to the wise. The next stage is, actually, I've been looking at their films. Have you actually looked at the films they made? And then, you're right, it's absolutely... Anyway, he then described to me, in a professional context, the steps by which my Jewish colleagues, in, a, in, in an environment that had nothing to do with politics, would have been slowly and steadily and inexorably uh, sidelined, marginalised, demonised and, 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 and booted out. And, and I thought... I'm not remotely suggesting that the BBC has any no. relationship whatsoever with Deutsche Rundfunk circa 1934. Of course not. But there was a horrifying core, core of recognition of those kind of incremental steps. And so the senior management nature of Bruno's job really fascinated me. Uh, 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 you know, the, 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 the conscious enabler, the, the, yeah. the, the person without whom, you know, Heydrich, Heydrich is nothing if he doesn't have a whole team of people to make it happen. And for them to do it in this very energetically proactive way, because they believe in the project. So, so, so that was, you know, that, that, was, that was what I thought was talking about a lesson from history. It's actually, you know what, the, 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 you know, I, I, so, so the book I'm writing at the moment is, is to try and take a mindset. What was the mindset at work that would explain why somebody like Bruno, what was it that spoke to him so loudly? Because it's not ideology per se. You know, he's not going through Mein Kampf line by line going, mm, I agree with that, but I don't agree with that. And oh, I think the, the, the tuberculosis metaphor, I'm not quite sure I buy that. It's not doing that. It's, 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 it, and it goes back to, I think, a state of mind that was, that was, that was like the Big Bang after the First World War. Uh, and I try and break that down. And I think it creates a kind of mindset. And I want to follow that mindset. And it's, it's essentially, how does the Nazi party, how do you take that mindset, uh, that idea, and turn it into a vision? How do you turn that vision into a party? How do you turn that party into a regime? How do you build a regime with that idea at its core? And how do you go to war with that idea? And once you're at war, how do you then at the same time create the final solution? So it's a story of the Holocaust. 
as being the final destination of a mindset that erupts into existence in 1918, 1919, um, and has people like my grandfather as very impassioned co-believers, even if in the end he wasn't a direct perpetrator, I don't believe, um, insofar as it makes any difference. Um, So that's what I'm doing now, and I've called it mobilizing hate. How how do you take... How do you take that idea and and put it on a political lathe and build a party out of it and then then and then then build a war project um, and then how you know it's that old old question why they're fighting the war why on earth are they doing all this yeah you know what 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 does shooting a a, a, a a Jewish grandmother in a shtetl in Poland what's that got to do with anything and the answer is by that point it is you're putting a bullet directly into the Kremlin. Downing Street and the White House because the yeah. two are linked. Yeah. So, 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 so. so well, we were talking uh, about uh, this, weren't we, in the in yes, the mountains the other day, and it was just it was completely and utterly fascinating, uh, yeah. and uh, and it, and it's it's very very fresh and different analysis you're bringing to it, Martin. Actually. Well, I, well, I I I, I hope so because after a while you kind of think all this toxic stuff in your head. You sort of think, oh, it's going to yield something. Because I I swear though, once I've done this, I'm never doing it again. I've had it just. <laughs> Uh, 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 but it, it, the thing, the thing is, the perspective it gives me. So when, when I listen to, you know, I've listened to all your podcasts. What it, what it absolutely gives me is anyone who thinks for one second that this is a subject that should now be laid to rest, or, 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 or is getting a bit eye rolly. I just think, have you any idea how close we came? And uh, however clumsy and back and forth the methods were, the, the, the instinct that enough people had, 39, 40 and on, that this, even if they couldn't always articulate it, even if they couldn't always support it, you know, the, the, the famous should be bombed Auschwitz or not, you know, there, there is a lot of evidence of on-the-knuckle indifference to the, the, yeah. the Jewish question. But nevertheless, the idea that the, the only thing that's going to stop this thing in its tracks forever is the complete and utter evisceration of this war, uh, of this regime through war. And I just think, you know, all those mosquito pilots, all those radio operators, all those people that you, you, you know, you've either spoken to or whose, whose, whose records you've looked at, and you just go, have you any idea how on the right side of history uh, you really were, even if you didn't fully know it at the time, you knew it enough. And I, 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 I suppose my, my front row seat and all of that is I did get a long, close glimpse of what the, wi- the winners would have looked like. Yeah. Had, it gone, had it gone the other way, yeah. Yeah. And, and the last thing I would say is I realised that what my grandfather committed his life to was to bequeath to us his as yet unknown grandchildren a world free of Jews and Roma and the disabled It'll be our mission. We will clear Europe of all of that, 30, 40 million of them, and you will be able to live your life safe in the knowledge they never even existed. Yeah. And, 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 and that to me was, that was the project. That was the project, and that's what we're going to do. And it's got nothing to do with autobahns or, 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 or uh, 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 unemployment. That, that was the vision, and the, and, and the sheer extent to which that was the vision it really, 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 really was the vision to the bitter end, um, and and it was shared in all sorts of 
all sorts of echoes of it where, uh, uh, you know, there was a German consensus, not as hot as that. Um, uh, 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 you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of Germans were, uh, you know, and, 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 and their Nazi adjacent allied regimes yep. were quite happy with the idea. Do you know what? A Europe stripped clear of all that? I, I could, that's actually, that sounds like a pretty good recipe. I'm, yes. I'm signing up for that. Um, so, you know, that's why I think, uh, uh, you know, I'm such a passionate listener to, you know, all, all the work uh, you do. It's why I love working with James. So I think these stories actually, you know what, I think they're more important as people forget them, not less. Um, and I think the, the lessons behind them, um, uh, 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 you know, the terrible thing about the Nazis is the next time they arrive, as we can see, they're not wearing brown shirts at street corners selling copies of Der Sturmer. No. We're looking that way. They're there. They'll arrive that way. They'll yeah. be over there. And the moment you know they're there is when a particular kind of malicious anger forms in your gullet that wants to, somebody needs to pay. Somebody needs, there needs to be a reckoning for what those in certain name of group are doing to the world. Yeah. And that's where it starts. Yeah. That sense of... Ugh. Um, and, uh, 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 and, and, and and so so what I'm trying to do in this book is that idea of that kind of hate that got mobilized in 1918 uh, was very specific, but it's 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 very dangerous and uh, yeah, and you, uh, and you don't feel it's terribly far away at the moment, do you? That's the problem. Well, Martin, that's been uh, absolutely it's, it's, it's extraordinary, um, fascinating, really, yeah. really well, fascinating. Uh, Thank you. For, I mean, it's been, it's, it's, um, I'm, I'm, I feel incredibly proud to take a place alongside all the amazing people you've had. And I obviously, it was good for me that you had three or 400 episodes just to warm up and get, iron out all the kinks before, 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 before getting right to me. So anyway, look, th thank you. Thank oh, you no, thanks, so much. And, 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 and power to your next 400. Thank you. Looking forward to reading this, yeah, your your new book yeah. and um, the perfect Nazi unmasking my SS grandfather is the book you wrote a, yeah. a little while ago about. I'm sure it's still yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah, and um, I'll see you see you uh, see you at Chalk Valley. Brilliant. Absolutely. Thanks right. very much. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Cheerio.